those of you that I don't yet know, my name is Mac Richard, and I'm the pastor here. We are honored to celebrate Christmas with you here tonight. I want to begin by asking you a question. This is an unscientific survey, but I want you to know before you answer, your response will be kept confidential. Pastoral confidentiality right here. It stays in this room. Nobody will ever know how you responded. But I do want to remind you before you respond that you're in church, so don't lie. It is Christmas Eve, and I'm just curious, how many of you still have Christmas shopping or errands to run before Christmas morning? Let me just see a show of hands from the room. You're among family here. That's okay. Both of you lifting your hands. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you lying in church. That's terrible. I love to ask that question. I just think it's fascinating. You know, we get really really fired up around Christmas, not only here at Lake Hills Church, but in our home. And I did a little math with some help from my son, who's in high school, and uh, I figured out that this Christmas marks my 49th Christmas on earth, 49 Christmases. And I have noticed a trend among others, but one that I want to specifically point out tonight, Christmas will flat out put some meat on your bones. Who knows what I'm talking about? I mean, there's something that happens this time of year. You know, when the calendar turns into November and then December and the air gets really crisp and cool and drops all the way down into the 70s here in Texas, we kind of resign ourselves to the reality that we're going to eat a little differently this time of year than we do the remainder of the year. We've got some of us office get-togethers, their neighborhood gatherings. Some of you, I know that you were preparing treats and snacks for students and children in school and their end-of-semester parties. And because it was for the kids, you had to be willing to taste what you were preparing to make sure that it was safe for the kids. And you were just willing to pay that price, and we honor you for that tonight. But we all know that Christmas, for whatever reason, will put some meat on your bones. It just so happens that this physical reality of Christmas is actually a perfect picture and representation of the true spiritual significance of Christmas. Because the Christmas story is all about God putting meat on bones. If you go back to the story of when Jesus was born, it really is about God becoming flesh, God putting meat on the bones of humanity. Now, there are differing accounts of the birth of Jesus, but I think most of us would agree that Luke chapter 2 is kind of the unofficial account of record that tells us most of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus. If you've ever seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, you know the Luke chapter 2 account of Jesus' birth. Luke was a physician, so he was he was particularly interested in details and sharing with us what was going on. But there's just two verses out of Luke's account that I want us to focus on in our time tonight. If you've got a Bible, look in Luke chapter 2. If you don't, that's okay. The verses will be here behind me. And because it's Christmas, I thought we'd go kind of traditional tonight and go old school. I'm going all the way back to the King James Version of the Bible. How many of you maybe grew up with King James Version of the Bible? I've had people argue that it's really the only authoritative version that's out there. They're wrong, but it's an interesting conversation. But I love how King James, the translators of 
the 17th century in England described the birth of Jesus. Look at this in verse 6 and 7. I love this. As it talks about Joseph and Mary, they're in Bethlehem. Oh, holy night in that little town of Bethlehem. It says this, and so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Isn't that a great turn of a phrase? Now, let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but I'm wondering, if you've ever been in the room when a baby is being born, you know that there's nothing in that of, the days are accomplished that I should be delivered. <laughs> it, when it's time for a baby to be born, it is time to get that thing out. But King James was a little more sanitized in that day and age. And so it, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Verse 7, this is what we were going to focus on. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. She brought forth her son. Mary delivered the baby Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus actually existed. No one, no matter where you are spiritually on this Christmas Eve, no one can intelligently argue whether or not Jesus existed. In addition to the biblical record of his life, there are multiple extra-biblical sources that tell us Jesus of Nazareth actually existed 2,000 years ago in the area known as Palestine. I'm thinking in particular of one historian who wrote under the auspices of the Roman Empire, Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian working for the Roman Empire, and Josephus tells us, having nothing to do with the Bible, about Jesus of Nazareth and this fledgling movement that he launched during his brief life there in Israel under Roman occupation and even goes so far as to tell us that this Jesus of Nazareth was actually executed upon a Roman cross. So historically, we know that Jesus actually existed. But there's a lot more going on because the fact of the matter is that when Mary brought forth her firstborn son, the heart of the Christmas story, the heart of the Christian story, is that she literally brought forth God in the flesh. That in that baby who was born there in Bethlehem, not only was he a human being born like you and I were born, but he was literally God in the flesh. Theologians refer to this as the incarnation, that he was incarnate, that God who is eternal, God who is spirit, chose to put on temporal flesh. Now that is a mind-blowing reality. It's why John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory of the, as the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. Colossians chapter 2 puts it like this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. For in Christ lives all of the fullness of God in a human body. That is that the incarnation of Jesus 
meant that, yes, he was a human being. He walked on the earth. He talked on the earth. He spoke. He went to parties. He celebrated. He grieved. He wept. He healed. He forgave. But within that human form was all of his godness, all of God's grace, all of God's truth, all of God's forgiveness, all of God's authority, all of God's creativity is in Jesus, the incarnation. But in that passage that we read that Mary brought forth her firstborn son is a fascinating, fascinating reality that if you just skate by it, you'll miss it. And to get at this, I want to just ask, I do want to ask you this question. How many of you, maybe you've never seen a baby born, and if you have, that's fine, but how many of you have ever seen anything born in person, live? You've been there around when something was born. I mean, it is, it's a mind, I'm not talking about the Discovery Channel, that doesn't count. But I mean, you've witnessed it personally. I, I was in the room when our two children, Emily and Joseph, were born. I was there. And it was a, just an amazing, surreal experience. But that was not the first time that I saw someone or something born. When I was a kid growing up in Houston, Texas, we were, I was about eight years old, and my family went to South Louisiana to visit some extended family. My Uncle Rex and my Aunt Yvonne lived in Eunice, Louisiana. And just in the suburbs of Eunice, Uncle Rex had a little farm. And on this farm, he had some cows and horses and some livestock. And the weekend that we were there visiting Uncle Rex and Aunt Yvonne, it just so happened that one of Uncle Rex's mama cows was due to deliver her calf. And it was time. And Uncle Rex was so excited, he was going to get to show these city boys from Houston what it was like when a cow had a baby. And we're going to go out to the farm and we're going to see this cow had a baby. And so sure enough, we went out there, and it was happening when we got out there. She was in labor, and they had gotten her into the, the barn, into one of the stalls, and she was kind of laying on her side, and they kind of determined pretty quickly that she was having some trouble delivering this calf, and she's going, not a happy cow. And so all of the menfolk there gathered around this cow, and, and Uncle Rex kind of assessed the situation and diagnosed it, and I'll never forget this. The kids, we were looking, you know, from another stall into the stall where she was kind of through the slats, and we're like, Whoa. and Uncle Rex said, we, we got to help her out. We, we got to go get a rope, and, and they went and got a rope, and they reached inside the mama cow and tied a rope around the front hooves of the baby cow, and, and, and they started pulling this calf out of mama, and we were just sitting there watching, and all of a sudden, you see these little calf hooves, poop, poke out, and and you see the little calf nose poke out, and then the head, poof. And then, before I knew what was happening, everything came out. <laughs> now, at eight years old, I wasn't prepared for everything. And so I just sat, I went. And in my little eight-year-old mind, I was overwhelmed. I was in awe. I was scarred for life. Nobody told me that was going to happen. <laughs> but you know, birth, particularly of a child, I, I believe with everything I have, birth is simultaneously the most beautiful, precious, 
and horrific experience you can ever go through as a human being. At the same time, there's nothing like it. And the fact that Mary brought forth Jesus tells us something profound about the character and the nature of God. Think of all of the ways that God in the flesh could have arrived. I mean, the angels showed up to tell the shepherds they just floated into the sky. And then they went home. But God was brought forth as a baby. And from the moment he got here, from the moment he got here, he was telling us he's not afraid of the messiness of humanity. He's not afraid of what we're afraid of. You and I know that our lives can get messy sometimes. Sometimes it's by choices we make. Sometimes it's from seasons of our lives. Sometimes it's because of other things that other people have done to us. But it can get messy. And the good news of Christmas is that our mess does not scare off God. That he is anxious to embrace us right where we are, no matter how messy, no matter how scarred, no matter how afraid. He just wanted to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation. God in the flesh. Now, we, we could stop right there. You could go home tonight and go, man, Malford Milligan, what a voice. The Lake Hills Church praise team and band, they're just crazy. Preaching was okay, but it was, you know, it's time to eat. And the incarnation, that was kind of interesting. You know how you can remember the incarnation if you forget about that? Just remember chili con carne. What is chili con carne? Chili con carne is chili with meat, flesh, meat, no beans. Chili con carne, the incarnation, the incarnate. God in the flesh. You laugh, but you'll remember. But I hope you didn't come here tonight just for some facts. Just, just to get a little feel-good shot in the arm because it's Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but I hope you expect more. And I hope that the reality of the incarnation causes you to ask a follow-up question. I hope that no matter where you are tonight spiritually, between you and God and nobody else, I hope the incarnation causes you to ask the question, so what? So what? God became human. So? So what? You see, the incarnation is in reality an invitation. The incarnation is an invitation from God to you, from God to me, for relationship. To literally be united with God, not to keep God at an arm's length through religion, through rituals, and through rules. Those things are fine as far as they go, but a lot of us know they don't go far enough on their own. I mean, if you just try ritual and rules and religion on its own, at a certain point, 
it gets a little bit dry. But man, a relationship, a relationship is dynamic. A relationship is give and take. A relationship is talk. And listen, a relationship changes everything. And the incarnation of Jesus, God in the flesh, invites you and invites me to be united with him. United to what degree? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Once you come to faith in Christ, the Bible says now you are Christ's body, his flesh. And individually, members of it. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you, in faith in Jesus, is a part of it. So if you come to faith in Christ, when I came to faith in Christ, I became a member of the body of Christ. Now, member doesn't mean that your name is on the roll. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll... How many of you all know that song? <laughs> Baptist, every one of you. So, <laughs> to be a... Not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I am, loud and proud. We, I grew up Southern Baptist, baby. But to be a member, to be a member means that you're a part of a body. You're connected. The body is dependent upon you, and you are dependent upon the body. This arm right here, that's a member of my body. It's having a little rigor right now, but that's a member of my body. Now, if I were to lop, you know, bring out my Christmas lightsaber and lop off my arm right there at the shoulder, and it fell to the floor of the stage, first of all, you'd remember this service. <laughs> But second of all, you, you would think, man, that thing is huge. But you would then think, number three, dude, you better sew that back on. You're going to need that. You, 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 your body needs the arm. And, and I know for a fact if your body stays, if your arm stays detached for too long, it's, it's going to shrivel up. It's not going to be as strong and robust and muscular as it is right now. Get it back on your body, Jack. You see, the body needs the members, and the members need the body. Incarnation means that it's not about just going to church. Christmas, Easter, two or three times a month, just to kind of make sure your pluses outweigh your minuses. But it's about being the church. It's about being the body of Christ all day, every day, everywhere you go, everywhere I go. That's what it's a part of. That's what incarnation means. Incarnation changes everything. First of all, incarnation redirects our relationships. Because of the incarnation of Jesus, every relationship I have is different. And when I live incarnationally, attached to the body, connected to Christ personally, connected to other people, my relationships reflect that. When I love Julie as Christ loves the church, when I pay attention to her, when I listen to my wife, when I try to perceive her needs without her saying them, when I try to read between the lines, everything works better. Somebody help me preach. It does. When I look at my kids, when I look at friends, People in the church, people outside the church, through the lens of the incarnation of Jesus, everything changes. Everything then becomes an opportunity for the incarnation to be lived out. 
So the incarnation redirects our relationships. But second, the incarnation redistributes our priorities. Because of the incarnation, because God became flesh, my priorities are different. All of a sudden, work takes on a whole new meaning. Work is not the definition of who I am. It is an expression of who I am. But work then becomes something that I get to do to live out the purposes of Christ every day. Even if my work is staying at home with a toddler, hardest work there is, all of a sudden, I'm not just cleaning up poop, avoiding spit up, and trying to stay awake and sane. All of a sudden, I'm looking at this little poop maker as a future difference maker. I'm looking at this little child as somebody that God has entrusted to me, and I get to introduce this child to the love of God. I get to all of a sudden make a difference and show them the unconditional love no matter what they do, no matter how they go, and steer them towards their own personal relationship with Jesus one day, prayerfully and hopefully. And as a family, this little difference maker all of a sudden discovers the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ. This little difference maker discovers what it means to have friends around her and around him who are helping him or her in their faith, helping them to stand tall against temptation and peer pressure because they're a part of the body, because the priorities have changed. The priorities change because of the incarnation. If you're dating, all of a sudden, dating becomes an opportunity for worship. Dating becomes something that you do because of who God created you to be. And if he helps you to be who God created you to be, great. And if he doesn't, bye-bye. Because you have the courage to know that you're never alone. You have the courage to know that the incarnation redistributes priorities, and that's okay. The incarnation limits the field and the pool of viable candidates but it raises the bar on viable candidates. The incarnation changes everything. Now, in a room like this on Christmas Eve, there are people here who know what I'm talking about. Every step along the way, you said, yep, I've seen that happen. Yep, I know what that's like. Yeah, I don't always do it. Man, I mess up regularly. But that's my life, the incarnation. I'm the imperfect representing the perfect. Here we go. But there are others of you here tonight who have never stepped into that relationship. The incarnational reality of Christmas has never been a part of your life. And we get to tell you that it can be. That it's literally there for the taking. All you have to do is respond to the grace initiative. The grace initiative that God took when Mary brought forth her firstborn son. Everything you need to know about God is wrapped up in that baby. He became one of us to be 
God with us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us as one of us because he loves you, period. And he's not afraid of mess. He's not afraid of a past. He's not afraid of your scars. If anything, he says, bring them to me and let me show you what I can turn them into. If you will respond. If you will respond to his grace initiative and say, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I give my life to you. It's very simple. It requires everything. See how simple that is? Everything. All in. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And as you do, I want to invite you to consider that invitation. The invitation that is the incarnation. If you're here tonight and you have never stepped into that relationship, I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of surrender. Surrender to the only one who can never take advantage of your surrender. Who will only use it for his glory and your good. If you'll just do it. Just right where you're sitting, just stop running from him. Stop keeping him at arm's length. And just in your own heart, silently, just say to him right now, Jesus, I need you, and I'm all in. <laughs> I know I'm not perfect, but I believe you are. So right now, I give you my life, all of it. I confess my sin to claim your forgiveness, holding nothing back. Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me and I accept your invitation with everything that I am Jesus I pray this prayer in your name once and for all ask everybody if you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment and we do that when we pray or in this moment because it's a sacred moment whenever God intervenes in a life it is a divine appointment it is a sacred moment And if you just prayed that prayer of commitment, of surrender, this Christmas Eve, 2014, I want to just, for a moment, make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. 
This is the moment for which you were created. And it's important that you stamp this moment indelibly in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, and you, you make sure that you know this is real. This happened. God did it. You responded. And so just in this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask if you prayed that prayer tonight, if you would just silently but unmistakably raise your hand up high over your head and just hold it there for a moment as you mark this moment to understand that eternity just got changed and eternity starts now. It doesn't just start when we die and end this life. It starts now. And so your hand in the air signifies that you're marking this moment, that it happened, that it was real. For us as a church, we have no greater privilege, no greater responsibility than to come alongside and to help you in this new commitment, this new relationship. Because the incarnation changes everything. The rest of your life is your response to this moment. So as a church, it's a big deal to us. So we have a family tradition around here, not just at Christmas, but whenever one person steps over that line of faith, but certainly tonight in this service, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. That's what it's all about. That's the incarnation at work becoming real.